we're trying, like I said, to uh, bring the right kind of people in here, we think, that can build a championship football team. You guys are the most loyal fans in the world, and I know it hurts that we might not be the Oakland Raiders forever, but we are still Raider Nation. I think it's going to be a, uh, get an army coming into uh, Las Vegas. It's time for the Vegas Nation podcast with your hosts Heidi Fang and Michael Gelkin. Hey everyone, it's Heidi Fang here along with our Raiders beat writer Michael Gelkin and it's time for another edition of the Vegas Nation podcast. Again, you can always find us online here at reviewjournal.com slash podcast or any platform you grab your podcast from. Subscribe, drop us a comment, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your feedback on the show. And again, Michael here is our beat writer for all things Raiders. And we've got a tremendous week happening here. We've got the draft coming up. We just saw the schedule released. We also have some news here today on Friday afternoon. We've heard about the area scouts getting let go by the Raiders, Michael. I don't think this is as big a deal as everybody is making out of it, but what does this mean that the Raiders have let the area scouts go before the draft starts? Well, first, I want to make sure uh, that let go carries a connotation to it. Uh, No one was fired. Uh, No one has been, you know, told that they're no longer with your organization. Uh, It's just their Easter weekend starts early, and uh, the Raiders... You know, people in the war room, such as Mike Mayock and John Gruden, are going to really kick up in terms of the intensity their preparations for certain scenarios that could arise on draft day itself. And so, uh, you know, the Raiders are are, are going to be plotting through different war room simulations, trade proposals, uh, certain guys being picked before they're on the clock at four, certain guys being picked before they're on the clock at twenty four, twenty seven, and just running through everything that they need to do from a situational preparation standpoint. They don't find it necessary to have every single scout who's on the payroll to be there for that, given only so many people are going to be in the war room itself. And so you have scouts going home after having provided months of input to the draft preparation. And now uh, Mike Mayock, John Gruden, and the select few of others are going to be working on some of the nitty-gritty aspects of preparing for things that could arise on draft day. All right. Well, we also had some news, Michael, about the schedule. Uh, The release was made, but it still isn't completely final. There's some interesting things happening there with the late December games with the Raiders schedule is concerned. I'm hearing that we're not going to find out a solidified date on the December 21st slash December 22nd game until week eight. But what can you tell us about the schedule that's been released for the Raiders? What is your initial take, just kind of giving it a glance over? Well, it's definitely got some interesting quirks to it. And before I get into that, I probably should add one more thing as opposed, as it relates to the scouts. Uh, I think everyone's kind of on edge right now in, in terms of uh, Raiders scouts because they know once the draft concludes that a number of them probably will be dismissed. Uh, that's not uncommon. When a, after a general manager is hired, he's going to bring in some of his new, some of his own people, and Gruden might even bring in people that he's familiar with as well. And so uh, there could be some turnover, some people let go. But that just hasn't happened quite yet. Uh, as it relates to the schedule, one of the first things you, you know, you think different people come at the schedule from a different vantage. I think fans, you know, they want to see when the national primetime games are. Or you know when their favorite teams are, you know when when their team is going to play, you know certain high-profile teams. 
Uh, others, I look to see how it's laid out from a bi week standpoint or holidays or that sort of thing. I think something that everyone could acknowledge, whether you're a coach, a front office executive, a fan, a player, is what happens between weeks three and eight, which is the Raiders don't play a single game in Oakland. There's a 48-day period between games. Uh, the Raiders uh, have a September 15 game at the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum against the Kansas City Chiefs. That's week two, and not until week nine, November 3rd, do the Raiders play in Oakland again against the Detroit Lions. It's quite the quite the quirk. Uh, it, it's not entirely unheard of because the Buccaneers have the exact same situation just a week later, uh, but the Raiders go at Minnesota, at Indianapolis, play a quote-unquote home game in London against the Chicago Bears on October 6th, have their bye week, and then stay on the road against Green Bay and the Houston Texans. It's also notable that the Raiders have seven 10 a.m. starts, which is a whole lot for a West Coast team. I don't know if I've seen uh, a West Coast team have that many 10 a.m. starts. Uh, you have to go years, years back, and even then, I don't know if you'll find it. Uh, there's databases <laughs> out there that, for as long as they track it, haven't seen a West Coast team have that many 10 a.m. starts. And then um, also of note, uh, you have the December 15th game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, barring a construction delay in Las Vegas. That will be the final game in Oakland in Raiders franchise history. Yeah, that is truly going to be something for the fans, I think, this time. The last time we had heard it would be the last game, you know, it was probable. It wasn't so definite as it is now. But I think once we have a clearer picture of the timeline, that there are no hiccups with construction, that it could weigh much heavier than the last possible final home game that happened in Oakland just last year, Michael. And um, this one, like you said, the, the home games that the team is getting Again, they're minus the one that's in Chicago. Because I mean, the Chicago Bears game that's in London because that is obviously away. So even though the Raiders are hosting it as the home team. So for Raider fans, I find it very interesting that they have to wait so long for the team to be home uh, in between that Kansas City Chiefs game all the way to November for the Detroit Lions game. That's quite some time for fans to, to have to wait to get the the team back home and then you have to, this game stretch in November they'll they'll be there mostly but um, well, how do you rate this schedule as far as difficulty when you look at the opponents and what's ahead for the Raiders I mean the Bears on the schedule alone I mean they were quite a force last year um, it seems that the schedule with the away uh, stretch that they have could even be a little bit uh, ter- I guess where the wear on the team from travel and all and the teams that they're playing, you got the Vikings there, the Packers there. It looks pretty tough, Michael. Yeah, and it's really hard to know exactly what a team's strength of schedule is. I mean, if you're going to go by 2018 records, the Raiders have the toughest strength of schedule in the NFL for 2019. But in fall of, I mean, just inherently, that's a flawed way of, of looking at it because, say, for example, the Green Bay Packers, who are on the Raiders' schedule for Week 7, if an injury happens to Aaron Rodgers, you know, knock on wood, hopefully that doesn't happen. But theoretically, given it's the NFL, things like that can happen. All of a sudden, uh, a, a game that was thought to be especially difficult on the road 
um, you know, suddenly could have the Raiders being three point favorites. You know, you just don't know uh, what the actual landscape is going into that, a particular game as we talk in April. And so on paper, this is as difficult of a schedule as it gets in the NFL. When you look at 2018 record of opponents that the Raiders are facing this coming year, which of course is weighted up because of teams like the Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs who were highly successful last season. Uh, but then there's also um, just other factors that kind of come into play that makes it really impossible to judge it. But I think when you do look at the 2018 uh, record of, of opponents with the long stretch away from Oakland, uh, this is certainly no cakewalk for a team that is very much in building mode as it relates to its roster. One thing I'd like to clarify, there's a couple asterisks on the schedule, both being with the Chargers games. Uh, the first one, an asterisk there for November 7th against the Chargers. The second one uh, for that December 21st, 22nd game. And I believe that's just because they're going to need to set the actual day. But I think I heard on NFL Network that that won't get finalized until week eight. Why is that? I really couldn't tell you. I haven't looked closely into all that. I don't know what the NFL broadcast situation is as to why uh, there is some fluidity between the two dates. Uh, I don't know if it relates to college football. I don't know what it, exactly it, it pertains to. Um, but I don't think the Raiders in-house are, are too concerned about you know, the specific date related to a Week 16 game. Um, I think there's a lot more aspects of this schedule that has their attention more. Well, I do hope that this season we do get to see Tottenham, the Spurs stadium, because I believe that uh, we were supposed to have last year, but it got moved to Wembley. So being in both of those stadiums would really be quite a treat. <laughs> and I'm sure for the team as well, because it would be quite something new to see that stadium. Yeah, you're right. They're supposed to play there last year and the stadium wasn't ready. And so I know a lot of people in the Raiders organization were hoping that they would get the opportunity to play at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And they and the Chicago Bears will be the very first NFL teams ever to play at the new site. So anytime, too, you're building a new stadium yourself, when you get a chance to see what a new stadium looks like, what it feels like, the excitement of just being in a new building with out of story history, whose history is still yet to be written, it, it's kind of a cool opportunity, even for uh, you know, franchise like the Raiders, you know, they love the history that's part of the Coliseum, but there's something to be said uh, for playing in a, in a new venue uh, that has, again, yet to be written. Well, as we look at the schedule here, just the preseason itself, uh, you know, we have all the opponents. We know who they're facing in the preseason. But again, there was some talk that their third game, which is against Green Bay, would be at a neutral site expected to be Canada. Uh, do we have any more information on what what's going to happen there and any of the dates that are going to be settled? Because as of right now, I believe the only date that is locked in is for when the Raiders are at Arizona. Is there anything new on the preseason schedule? Well, there was efforts by the Raiders to possibly look into playing in Saskatchewan, uh, where the Rough Riders of the CFL play. It sounds like that isn't a real scenario any longer. And so, um, where exactly in Canada, you know, I think you can, it's fair to expect it to be at a CFL stadium, but where exactly that stadium will be, what city it will be, uh, to my knowledge, has not been determined. It certainly hasn't been finalized, uh, so the, there is no announcement from the Raiders, but that is something that Mark Bedane and others within the organization are actively working on identifying where exactly the Raiders' third exhibition in August will be. Uh, but they are expected to play the Packers at a neutral site. 
again, likely to be Canada. The real idea for the Raiders is that they want to limit as exposure as much as possible to the, for their own team uh, to the field conditions that exist at the Coliseum during the football-baseball overlap, uh, which, of course, is in play when we're talking about August. There's preseason football, and then you have the Oakland Athletics who are using the Coliseum, so there's a big old dirt infield right in the middle of where a football grass should be. So uh, by looking to avoid that, uh, the Raiders are exploring options outside of Oakland, and they're going to save some money uh, with this whole arrangement. Um, probably, I imagine, get compensated for playing in Canada, but uh, certainly uh, they will save $500,000 on their lease uh, with the Coliseum Authority Board uh, by not playing two exhibitions in Oakland, uh, just the one. So by, by only having one exhibition, uh, the Raiders save $500,000 that they won't be paying to a local authority. Wow. That is huge savings. I mean, to me, I'm not, you know, quite a millionaire or anything like that. But to me, it sounds like a lot of money for them to hold on to. It'll pay for your practice squad. There you go. (laughs) Exactly. So, Michael, we have the NFL draft not too far away here. We're about eight days away from the first round of the NFL draft in which the Raiders do have three picks and again, another pick right at the top of the second round. So in a recent article, you wrote that the Raiders are now expected to pass on a quarterback in the first round and they want to build around Carr. Michael, right here, right now on the Vegas Nation podcast, can we finally put to rest the conversation that the Raiders are going to look to get a new quarterback? It's been the expectation for some time that they wouldn't take a quarterback. A lot of talk uh, but nothing that seemed substantiated by anyone to whom I could speak. Um, I think I've been pretty con- consistent throughout this pre-draft process that I didn't expect the Raiders to take a quarterback. And so it came time to write about the quarterback position, and it seemed like a great opportunity to hammer that point home and go into the reasons as to why. You look at what the Raiders have done in free agency. Generally speaking, an NFL team tells you uh, in- indirectly what it plans to do in the draft by the moves it makes and doesn't make in free agency. So to look at the team's transactions in March, activity included signing wide receiver Tyrell Williams after having acquired via trade Antonio Brown for a couple draft picks, a third and fifth rounder, and also giving him a pay raise. They made Trent Brown the highest paid offensive tackle in NFL history. And these are moves that you make usually when you're not about to reset the quarterback position these are moves that you make when you're trying to surround Derek Carr with more help give him the chance to have stability under John Gruden's presence you know with that 10-year contract it's a great opportunity to just build cohesion between your head coach who's offensive minded and your quarterback that's been the expectation all along that that's what this was going to be it's a multi-year deal with John Gruden with Derek Carr and then we'll just see as things go where it all stands. But I think for 2019, to me, there's very little doubt as to who the Raiders quarterback will be. And that's Derek Carr. At the same breath, it's a draft. It's John Gruden. Can you speak in certainty and say 100% the Raiders aren't going to take one? You can't because I'm not the one making those decisions and everyone's playing poker. But I have a pretty good sense based on what happened in March as to what the cards are for the Raiders. And I don't think quarterback in the first round is one of them. 
I think the running back position, however, right now is particularly interesting. You wrote an article about Chris Warren. And for me, I was excited about this part of the article. Uh, I'm a big UFC MMA fan. And you had written that he's getting his training right now from Guy Mesker, a former standout in Pride, Pancras, a former tournament champion with the UFC. And uh, he says, pardon? The Sandman. Yeah, that's That's right. (laughs) The Sandman. That's right. So, you know, you go back to the old school UFC and he won the lightweight tournament, which now is like 155 pounds. But back then it was any fighter under 200 pounds. It was like crazy the way the weight classes were. So he could have fought like literally a 200 pound guy and been 150 and it would have been the same weight class. But now anyway, I'm going to get, you know, derailed here if we keep going. (laughs) But okay, so Warren, (laughs) Warren, uh, you know, he um, had a decent preseason last year before being sidelined by a knee injury. And he did have surgery on that knee. What kind of details do you know about his status? How did he return after the surgery? And where he is concerned with the depth of the running back chart, you know, and how it could possibly shape up, we don't know about Marshawn Lynch yet. Um, where do you think he stands and what could be a crowded backfield? Yeah, Chris Warren is going to have an opportunity to compete. It'll be exciting to see what sort of claim he can attempt to lay on a roster spot. Uh, he wasn't able to earn a roster spot last year. Keep in mind, he was an undrafted rookie from Texas, a huge learning curve. And he made it competitive, obviously. I mean, shoot, he led the NFL in rushing uh, in the preseason. Uh, but uh, there's still a, a number of aspects to his game that, that were raw. And so uh, the Raiders took what ostensibly was a minor knee injury. I always kind of wince when I call someone else's injury minor, especially <laughs> one that requires surgery. Um, but he had, instead of, he probably could have just played through it or, you know, may do, but ultimately, uh, the Raiders used the knee ailment as a reason to stash him on injured reserve. So they saw the potential in him. Rather than just cut him, uh, they took care of him, uh, stashed him throughout the 2018 season. You know, he had to kind of cut his weight down a little bit and got a little got a little heavy during that time. Um, but now, uh, after having a few weeks with Mesker, he's back with the Raiders in Alameda, El- Alameda, and now he's working with the Raiders' strength and conditioning staff, and he'll probably uh, rejoin Mesker. Uh, sometime in June or July during the off period between minicamp and training camp. Uh, so before he Warren returns to Napa uh, for his second training camp as a Raider and, and tries to make that roster push, um, he'll continue his MMA type style training. And ultimately we'll see what sort of uh, fight that he can make uh, when it comes to making this roster. Uh, but uh, I do think running back a number one running back is on the Raiders mind going into this draft uh, whether or not they take one super early, uh, that is the question, given the depth that t- tends to exist in the running back class. Uh, certainly history sh- sh- supports waiting at that position. So, you know, Josh Jacobs, Wiley is viewed to be the top running back in this draft. Um, maybe he's an option there at 24 or 27, or if he's still on the board, 35. But I think there are other options as well for the Raiders, which really underscores the point of if you're the team and you're sitting there at number four, you're on the clock and a team reaches out to you looking to trade up into that number four spot and you're the Raiders and you can acquire some extra draft picks that could mean, say, a running back in round two or running back in round three or whatever else it may be in terms of addressing their roster needs. I would expect the Raiders to seriously entertain 
that opportunity. Uh, it could mean their number one running back of the future. Yeah, and like you mentioned, I believe in the same article about Chris Warren, and again, you can find all of Michael's work on ReviewJournal.com, as well as in print, pick up a paper, Review Journal. Uh, but the article, I believe, indicated that, you know, they don't have a pick from after that number 35 pick on down to 105, if I'm not mistaken. So that's quite a lot of space and time in between, like you said, where you can maybe trade down. How likely do you think that it is that they would do that? Trade down? Yeah. I think it's really dictated by if someone wants to trade up. Um, I think there's a high probability if someone wants to trade up, the Raiders will move down. I think they're open to that. I mean, if they're at number four and, and somehow Nick Bosa of Ohio State is available, I don't think the Raiders are going to be interested <laughs> in moving down. I no. think they're going to be hurrying to make that selection. <laughs> yeah. But it really it's, di- it's dictated by how the Raiders feel about who's available at number four overall. You know, do they love the defensive linemen or do they think there's value there and they're comfortable moving back a few picks? Uh, likewise, they don't even need to take a defensive lineman at four. Linebacker Devin White at LSU, he can rush the passer as a stand-up linebacker. He's also uh, plenty capable of covering and just being a modern-day sideline-to-sideline type of presence. Someone who's a captain at LSU, who projects as a captain for the Raiders for years to come. And so uh, if their options at four, they think could still be of quality, uh, still have quality picks later, uh, and they can pick up an extra day two draft pick, for example. I think the Raiders uh, seriously will do so or will look to do so. But again, it, it comes down to the draft board, how they view the cluster of players available at number four relative to the cluster of players available at, say, number eight. And if they think the drop off is worthwhile as it relates to picking up a draft pick along the way. Well, during the draft, you, me, Ed Greeny, who will be in Nashville holding down the coverage. We will all be on top of this. Michael and I will be in Oakland at the team's headquarters. So you want to make sure to keep tuned to ReviewJournal.com for all our coverage. But Michael, as we do during the season here, before we wrap things up, we like to make predictions during the season. So let's make a prediction on the draft. Let's go with just the number four pick. Who do you have the Raiders taking And this is, for me, it's hard because let's assume Arizona's pulling the wool over everyone's eyes and Kyler Murray doesn't go in that one spot. I don't know. It could all be so interesting. You never know what's going to happen. But who is your pick for the Raiders' first overall pick in the 2019 NFL Draft? It's tough because unlike picking the winner or the loser of a regular season game, as we do when we predict games during our regular season podcast, you know, we don't know who's who we're talking about here it's not like we're talking about before the raiders broncos game uh you know who to pick (laughs) you know we're talking about who to pick we don't really know the players that are on the table you know if if nick bosa is gone and quinn williams is gone and josh allen is gone like what do the raiders do do they go ed oliver or do they go devin white or do they trade down i think if i could just make a prediction it would be trade down but if the raiders stay put at four then it comes down to who's available. I think one guy who seems assured to be available, and I, again, say that uncomfortably because I don't know exactly what's going to happen on draft day, but based on mock draft predictions, is Devin White at LSU. Uh, he's someone who seems to love football, some guy who's a respected presence, and I mentioned he can rush the passer despite not being an every-down rusher. He's not a defensive lineman. He's a sideline-to-sideline linebacker. Uh, he can cover tight ends. I mean, to me... When Mike Mayock talks about wanting to find foundational players, Devin White 
projects as such a player. Um, it's just, again, are the Raiders more compelled to take somebody who's going to get after the quarterback every single snap? So I don't really have a strong answer, but that's just kind of as I talk through it, where I stand. I think it's obviously going to be, it's obvious that if the team doesn't trade down, they're going to take somebody to upgrade their front seven. As much as they say, want a tight end. I don't think we're going to see TJ Hawkinson out of Iowa. That just oh. seems too early to me mm-hmm. with all the team's defensive needs, even with John Gruden being the one who's calling the shots. Uh, you probably are going to have the Raiders be more offensive-minded than people would think with all the holes on their defense. But um, I, I so if I was to pick one, just give me Devin White of LSU and I'll be done with it. But I make that prediction being a little bit uneasy just because of what this team needs from an edge rush standpoint and pass rush standpoint overall. Uh, Devin White's not going to get after the quarterback every single down the way that a defensive lineman would. I like your pick. It is the top linebacker overall in this draft for me. I'm going to go just like again, like you said, I have to preface it with if he is available here, Josh Allen, Kentucky, edge rush. Uh, I really like what he's shown and the speed that he has coming around the edge. And I think that he'd be somebody that the Raiders need to fill in those holes on defense. But I I don't know. It's tough to say if he'll be around at, at the number four spot. So I mean, my second guy would be Quinnen Williams, but I don't know. He's more of an interior guy, so I don't know what they would do there. But again, that will do it here. We'll have real draft picks for you once we get into this on April 25th in Oakland. Michael and I will also be doing podcasts on the first day just to kind of wrap up everything that happened with those first three draft picks. So you can always make sure that we have you locked in here on Vegas Nation. You can subscribe again on any platform where you find your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and of course, ReviewJournal.com slash podcast. For Michael Gelkin, I'm Heidi Fang. Give us a follow on Twitter at GelkinNFL and at Heidi Fang. Thank you for listening.